0: There's a cliched joke about the financial director that looks at the cost of training and says, Why are we training all these people? They're just going to leave. And then the enlightened CEO says, Can you imagine if we didn't train them and they stayed? And as cliched as it is, it's actually very true if you think about it. You'd rather have competent people doing their jobs properly than incompetent people staying for a long time doing incompetent things. But the focus of this podcast for me is around how we use training in the context of scale, building a business.
1: Hi, I'm Gareth Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. That's the voice of Alon Reyes, CEO of rays Corp, and our guide during this hiring series. Alon's successes and failures have taught him lessons about hiring that he shares with the goal to help us grow as quickly and effectively as possible while avoiding expensive, possibly business sinking employment mistakes. In this final episode of the series, we examine how to ensure our new employee is working as effectively and productively as possible, as quickly as possible, to safeguard the momentum within our growing organization. A quick heads up, this is a long final episode. But that just means that it is jam-packed with insights and value we just couldn't cut out. Let's pick up where Alon was talking about training in the context of scale.
0: Let me build a case around it. People gain experience on the job. They get better at their job as they do their job. And this is because they go through a learning curve. And very often that learning curve is at a cost to the company, either a cost- In terms of something broke or somebody did something that they shouldn't have done, which has other implications, or they just take a lot longer to go through that growth curve. So if you can hasten that learning curve by understanding all the places where people normally trip up and ensure that there are both training and rails in place in order to ensure that they don't trip and fall off in those particular places, you reduce the actual cost of bringing somebody into the business and you reduce the time significantly before they become effective.
1: But I wanted to get a sense of where Alon's insight and understanding has come from. Like he says himself, we often become effective while doing and so what was Alon doing that helped him realize that focusing on training was the next step towards growth and scale? Between 2007
0: and 2010, we grew 15 times our size more than 15x growth. You bring on tens of people at a time. It becomes very apparent to you then that you need a training approach. And so that's when the journey began was, how am I going to get all these people to know what to do? I know, you know. And then in that growth, you also have the the friction between the old people and the new people, the old people wanting it as to be kumbaya, my friend, like it used to be, and all of us sitting around a circle and holding hands, and the new, there's this growth happening, and you can't operate in the same way. This is the way it was, but I didn't want it the way it was. When they used to come to me and say, it's not like it used to be, I'm going, I'm so happy, thank you. And they thought they were insulting me, but I was actually quite happy to hear that, because This is better. This is growth. This is more impact. This is achieving our vision. We had, I would say, a very rudimentary but effective training approach. Nowhere where it is right now. Now it's far more sophisticated. And I know that I'm going to look back at where it is right now in two years' time and go, no, no, it's proper now.
1: Alon's comments take me back about 10 years or so, to the few occasions I had the opportunity to sit with the CEO of McDonald's South Africa and his leadership team. When examining their growth and effectiveness, they explained that while the product you and I consume is perhaps a burger and fries, in many ways they were much more of a training organization than a burger producer. So much so that they even have an internal training facility called Hamburger University that has seen over 275,000 graduates trained. It's this focus on training that has assisted them to deploy over 38,000 restaurants, mostly franchises, worldwide. So if McDonald's and other big brands are doing it, perhaps we should be thinking very carefully about our approach to training as well. Let's listen to what Alain's next steps were.
0: So as I said in the third podcast in the series, this is not about training you from scratch. This is about the the fact that you have been, through our recruitment process, through our selection process, you've come into the organization with the basic competencies required to do the role. And the training now is all related to the bespokeness the nuance of this particular organization this particular department the dilemma always is how much do i invest in training versus what's my return and that'll be different for every business and for RaceCorp, we've decided that we will have a very intensive first three months and then a less intensive journey thereafter We call the first three months our enlighten period where we enlighten you on how to do your particular role. And everything beyond three months is called enrich. We enrich your competencies. So you can do the job. We just make you a little bit better and better and better over time. And also in the enrich environment, we create the ability to be flexible to move into other environments. So we make you more usable across the organization in the enriched space whereas Enlighten is very much around your particular role right now which leads me to the way that we train so our training is incredibly structured where we train company department role what i mean by company how does the company work what are the processes and how do they move from department to department Where do you fit into the company? What we found fascinating before we did this was how few people in the organization actually knew how the whole organization worked. I remember once going to one of the big banks with a friend of mine who worked at the bank and he invited me up to his uh, little desk. And when I say little desk, I mean little desk on a big floor, which was all open plan. Open plan, all the rage, all the managers in open plan. And all the columns, all the supporting beams on the floor were painted either red or green. So I asked him, what does that mean? So he goes, well, the red is our department, the green is that department. So I said, what does that department do? He said, I don't know. Same floor, literally 20, 30 meters away, open plan, don't know what they do. And that was great insight about how Little people understand in an organization about how the whole organization works. So we start off with company. Then we move to department. And how does this department work? But included in both the company and the department are the culture compacts. You know, we actually make you sign a cultural compact before you join. And we've had people who, at that point, refuse to sign and walk away, which I think is a huge success in saying this is not a culture I'm aligned to and and walk away. But once you've you've signed it, then we go into more detail as you've joined the organization about how the culture of the whole organization works. And then in the departmental training, how this particular department operates. What is the language used in that particular department that has evolved over years that is peculiar to that department not even to race Corp per se but that department uses that language for those with sensitive ears maybe you don't want to listen to this but like for example in our marketing department part of our language is to decackify this we wouldn't use that in in another department it's not usable But in that department, that has evolved over the years as a word that we use. And anyone new who joins, it's part of the training. This is what we mean. It works. And so that becomes part of the language. And if you look at game theory, if you understand game theory, language is a very important part of game theory. So a great example of that is the same word in different games can mean different things. If I say four in golf means duck, Right, and four a uh, four in cricket means something completely different. Same word, different meaning. But there is there's a language around games. There's a gr- language around organisations. There's a language around industries, and so there's a language around departments. So that that brings us to the third part, which is the role. Now, the role training is broken down into various parts. The first part is the actual documentation so we have a very much a flip learning approach where we give people the documents to read around their particular role so there might be how this works and how that works and whatever the case may be even these forms or documents or so we give it to them and then we create quizzes around it so these quizzes are might be 20 points or 50 points and they're quite easy and that's open book I'd say to you, Gareth, for your role, I would issue you this document, and here's the quiz, and you might have one day or two days to get it done, and then you hand it back in. It's all digital. You hand it back in, or you submit it back, and you can see the gaps there, and you might get, if it's out of 20, you might get 16 out of 20, and you get the score back, but your manager now knows that you didn't understand this and that. That's cool. And then then two days later, you get issued the next one and the next one and the next one. And so in the three-month period, and very much all coordinated, you'll be issued with all these open book quizzes together with the documentation.
1: So these first 90 days, the Enlightened period, is a combination of cultural sensitization and organizational awareness and understanding. But what are the actual mechanisms used for this training? Alon breaks these down into five areas or phases. Self-learning, internal training, external training, shadowing, and observations. So that's
0: the opening gambit is this pre-learning or self-learning that you read, you get quizzed, you get open book, find out the answers. Those quizzes are actually very well designed in the sense that there is one or two questions in there that are not in the document that you have been issued you have to get that information by walking across the the room to somebody else and asking them or investigating elsewhere which forces you to start networking within the business and connecting to other people so that's the the quizzes that'll be all collated and there'll be actual training where the training is not like this whole day of boring stuff because we know you've pre-read it so we've, it's like a filling-in-the-gaps kind of training. It's all the salient, high-level points. And because the manager, who generally will tra- train their own team, not always, but will train their own team, because the manager has seen you got 16 out of 20, knows that you, Gareth, didn't get this, he or she might say, Gareth, and just on this point, this is actually what it means, and that close the gaps. So the second part is the actual training which is much shorter, high level, and very often it requires practical application scenarios, et cetera, so it's not just this chalk and talk. The third level is external training, which is for parts of the role where we don't specialize in that particular field or have the internal expertise, And that generally is around areas that have very high rates of change. I'll give you an example. If we do in the marketing department LinkedIn training, we won't do LinkedIn training. LinkedIn, the algorithms, how it works, the look and feel changes all the time. So we'll get an external provider to do that. Then we move to shadowing. So the next part of your journey, your enlightened journey, is that you will... Be required to go and shadow a whole bunch of different sessions within the context of not only your role but often the roles that are allied to your role in other words inputs or outputs of your role but shadowing isn't about just sitting there you know with a blank stare on your face and watching people go about their work you're required to answer questions you're required to say Why do you think this happened? What did you see here? What did you notice there? Why do you think that is? Do you think X or Y? And if you know X, what are your reasons for that? So we ask you to engage in the observation, trying to discern information from what you're observing.
1: Is there room for, is the person doing the training open to new information?
0: That's a great question, and I'll give you an example of where we do a simulation in RaceCoop with entrepreneurs, and the new person coming in has to observe the simulation. One of the questions in the shadowing quiz is, what questions would you ask that weren't in that particular session? What information do you feel you were missing from that particular simulation had you been a panelist on that simulation and then they give the answers and then that comes back into a feedback process so we are open to it in fact we use it as part of our feedback structure within raise because those individuals coming into the organization are not blinkered they open and they don't know what they're looking at, so they far have got far fresher eyes to see the mistakes than we do where we are a little attached to our own processes. So it's very much part of our feedback system. So that's the shadowing where they'll watch somebody else do the thing that they do. And then the last part is the observations where they go to do it and they are observed and given feedback before they can go into their role. And so that's designed for every single role within race corps. And that has to be done within 90 days, within the first three months. And at the end of all of this, we have a big hairy assessment. And that big hairy assessment needs to be passed. So we believe we've given them the training, The practical experience we've given them the shadowing they've done some flip learning, we've given them three months in order to assimilate all this information and they write the assessment not open book if they fail, they get two weeks to restudy and then they go into the second assessment. In our contracting, we deem them not to be competent if they do not pass the second assessment. There might be mitigating circumstances and then we will go through a process with them to try and help them. We have in the past gone as far as a third assessment because of, of mitigating circumstances. But for us, when you get onto a plane, you want to know that the pilot has passed their exam. You really do want to know that this individual can fly the plane. And if you are going to be supporting entrepreneurs and you don't know what you're doing, you're affecting people's lives. So we want to know you know what you're doing. So to us, it's that important. That's the enlightened process.
1: When Lon said an intensive first 90 days, he meant it. What is also so good about this process is that it is a final sifting to see who can handle the heat and pressure. Or in other words, who is better suited for a different environment. I did wonder though, are they losing some really talented individuals because of the intensity of it all? If I'm a professional who has 10, 20, 30 years experience, why do I need to write exams or feel like I'm being treated like I'm a student again?
0: We've had resignations. We've had near resignations as a result of this process. A big part of what we are trying to get better at is the... Preframing of what they're walking into because if there's proper expectation management then there is a lower sense of intensity when they start to experience this they expect that and it's very much like my eldest son who will be going into university i'm trying to from expectation management point of view get him to understand that the volume of work that he will Experience in first year is at a multiple of what he's currently experiencing. So he's mentally ready for that. Where I wasn't given that expectation, I I could not believe the amount of work that university was relative to school. Like it was such a shock to me. Whereas he won't walk in with that shock. So a big part of how we manage that is expectation management. But on the other side of the coin, if they resign as a result of that, if somebody at 45 says, I've learned everything and I can't learn more, then to me, it's you know maybe part of our deselection process because our environment is incredibly dynamic, it's evolving, it's serious, and if they're not prepared to put in the work in themselves, then we made a selection mistake.
1: The benefits of this enlightened period are numerous. But what I really like about it is how it acts as a filter and allows the organization to find solid people. Next, we have the enrich phase. Let's find out more about it.
0: Which brings us on to part two of your learning journey within Flowcode, which we use in Corp. And that is around your enrich experience. Enrich is the next journey to make you better at your role. So it's about basic training and then advanced training. So it's very much going back to the aeroplane metaphor as a pilot you need so many hours on a simulator before you can you know, fly a certain plane. The same thing is is true within RaceCorp in the Enriched Environment. After a, a certain amount of hours or how many sessions that you've done a certain thing then you can go for the training and then you go for the assessment thereafter and then you get your stripes according to that so that journey is also mapped out for each role in terms of the progress that it provides and you will see that people also will want to within the organization do advanced training the enrich program for other allied parts of the business which makes them more flexible and usable in the organization and from a sustainability of their journey at Corp and maybe their personal experience in terms of feeling a little more enriched experience, then that provides them with that opportunity as well. So whereas the Enlighten is very, very narrow in terms of my role, Enrich opens you up where you can enrich yourself in other parts of the business as well. Some of the roles are Prescribed. In other words, you have to do this particularly enriched program to advance you. And others are voluntary. And it's a mix of those. So, But the intensity is much, much lower.
1: Let's now pull back to what Alon shared right in the beginning of this discussion, that training and scale are bedfellows.
0: So prior to 2014, before we brought in this flow code process into RaceCorp, our experience was that growth was very, very hard that there was a huge amount of drag when you brought in individuals into the organization They required a, a tremendous amount of nurturance and, and guidance which was very ad hoc and often the individuals would get contradictory information from different people because somebody might have remembered how it used to be and w- weren't informed of how it is right now And the training is always the latest training. It's very much around what is the latest process, the latest updates. So the individual has got the latest information coming in. So as a result, you've got this tremendous amount of friction in the business. And those individuals create these mistakes which cost money and through no fault of their own because they weren't trained. They weren't told that this is what you do and this is what you don't do. And so they take initiative, which we encourage, but it wasn't so obvious and they made a mistake. So we've been very, very careful as to not to reduce initiative. Um, It's channeled initiative. In other words, we are building, and this is still our journey as Rayscope to build this much better, but we are building the feedback mechanisms to be better and better and have more and more impact We've got better listening devices in the organization, and I'm not talking about spyware, I'm talking about authentic conversations that go somewhere. And we are getting much better at affecting change as a result of that feedback. But I think the whole concept of feedback also requires a podcast of its own, which we will do.
1: As we move toward the end of this conversation, let's consider two things. The downside to training, what warnings Lon has for us. And number two, the question, when is the right time to start focusing on structuring our training? Let's begin with those warnings.
0: In listening to myself talk about how wonderful and structured the enlightened, enrich process within RaiseCoop is, within Flowcode is, I think we need to be honest that there is a cost downside to all the training as well. And that is the fact that, first of all, it takes a huge amount of time. And in a growing organization, you don't have the luxury of having people who are full-time just training. So it takes a huge amount of time out of people's weeks and, and their agendas. And that needs to be managed. And often that, that comes with a level of conflict in friction and and fatigue even like oh i just did that training last month now i have to do it again and that requires a bit of planning there is also a huge amount of cost in terms of building that material if you're going to do it properly both in time and real cost and to make sure that that's it's not dry and that it's not just words on a slide or words on a page that it's exciting and it's to the point And then there is the maintenance cost to version 1.7 now to 1.8. Now we did all our training in classroom, but this is a classroom setup. And now everyone's on Zoom. So now we have to change all the material. And then maybe post-COVID it goes back to class or a blended version and then we have to update it again. And that's a, a huge maintenance cost. So you have to make a decision as a small business whether what you feel is better for you. Do you want the very fluid, organic kind of training that takes a long time? Or do you want something far better organized, far better designed that gives, makes people effective quicker but has got a cost to it as well? My choice is the latter, an organized, structured training That comes at a cost.
1: Some extremely important considerations there from Alon. Next we ask, when is the right time to start focusing on and structuring our training the way he has described? I think you begin from the beginning. And I didn't. And the
0: implication of that was the fact that I had to catch up and I had this massive amount of documentation to put together. I mean, I got the whole organisation to help me, but it was a massive task to get it to first stage. Massive, took more than two years to get us up to speed, and then it's like a never-ending story. But the the tidal wave of information that you had to basically convert everything in the organisation as it had been built over the years into training, well, it was a massive task, but one that I was very determined to accomplish. Had I understood this, had I listened to this podcast 21 years ago, I would have started on day one with the training. I would, because then it's much easier because you just are iteratively adding more and more material and as the organization then becomes more defined and split into functions, etc. you just The training evolves with the organization from that point. So there isn't this massive... Task ahead of you, you know, 10 years into the journey, and then you've got a massive change management journey as well because now no one was trained. And what about all the people who are in the organization that haven't been trained and the in the organization that now have been trained? And actually, we saw a stark difference in the same role where you had two people in the same role, one had been trained and one hadn't been trained in terms of their effectiveness and their career progress because they actually knew what they were doing and I felt sorry for the individuals who weren't trained and we offered them the training but you know once again it's like you know, I know what I'm doing but there's nuance that was in the training that they didn't have
1: So the longer we wait the more difficult it becomes. As Alon shared it was a tidal wave of information they had to sort through Here follows the final question I asked Alon Who does he regard as the best training organization around? Here follows his answer and the final comment for this episode.
0: The US Army or any effective army, I think are great training organizations. They have different departments. They've got sub-departments. They've got protocols. They've got everything that an organization needs in order to achieve what it has to achieve. There is no way a special unit is going to go into a situation without using their speciality or being chosen for their speciality. Whether it's a firefighting unit, a rescue unit, an undercover unit, or whatever the case may be, the individuals have been carefully selected through a process to get there. Everyone knows what they need to do. They've been trained to do that. So if I say what I would try and emulate is the best armies, and that might sound incredibly militant, but I'm not talking about this from a military point of view. I'm talking about from an organizational structure that knows how to train individuals to get what it tries to achieve.
1: If you have any questions or thoughts you'd like to share related to this episode or hiring in general please feel free to share these on the RaceCorp page on your favorite social media platform. Please use the hashtag avoidinghiringmistakes to help us locate it more easily. Alternatively, you can make contact with us using the options found on racecorp.com. My name is Gareth Armstrong, and I'll see you in the next series.